So yes, indeed, we will spend a few minutes looking at a prayer that Jesus prays for us in John 17. So if you have your Bible with you, please open it to John 17. Take out your Bible app and do the same, or I have put the words on the screen this morning. We at Faith Church, like every other church around the world, have spent the last 18 months thinking about what it means to be church as we've been forced to change our practices. And so that thinking, who are we? Why are we here? Why do we come together on Sunday morning? What are children's programs for? What is outreach, service, worship, food drives, deacons, causes? What are they for? So we've recommitted ourselves to a mission statement of reaching up to God, reaching into one another, and reaching out to the community. We also have on the wall for the first time this morning the vision statement that we adopted earlier this spring as a leadership. We will be a community led by the Spirit where all are invited, all are loved, all are shaped, and all are sent to live like Jesus. We spent some time this spring looking at those four colored words, invited, loved, shaped, and sent. We haven't spent a lot of time thinking about all. So my hope this fall is to spend a few times, a few Sundays looking at different passages where the word all comes up in a meaningful way to talk about people. So this is our first Sunday looking at an all. And I think as we relaunch, as we come together in a different way this fall, it's good to start with the prayer that Jesus prays for us. It's hard to imagine that he looked ahead to 2021 Faith Church on Mountainside and prayed for us. Before I read the passage, let me say that this is right near the end of Jesus' life. He's lived about 33 years He's taught people, he's healed a multitude of people, he's done miraculous things that have made people amazed and angry. And so he knows that his time is running out. He's got together with all his disciples, even the one who will betray him. They've had a meal together. He's told them, keep celebrating that meal, what we call the Lord's Supper, until we meet in glory. He's washed their feet and told them to do that for each other too, which we don't do very often, but we do try to serve one another and the world. And then he tells them about the Holy Spirit. He talks about being the vine. And then at the end of that whole evening, just before he goes out to Gethsemane where he is betrayed and taken into custody, he prays. He prays first for himself, that God will glorify him, that he will be given the strength to do what he needs to do. Then he prays for his disciples, those who are surrounding him physically in the moment. And then he prays for us. So these few words, John 17, 20 to 23. My prayer, Jesus says to God, his father and ours is not for them alone, not for the disciples there alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, 
the church of all time and all places, that all of them, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This, these are the words of Jesus. Thanks be to God. So I'm glad that it's just the beginning of a series. I'm not gonna say it all this morning, promise. But I wanna offer you two things this morning. First, a phrase, and second, an image. So the phrase first. All for one and one for all. I put that phrase up with the quad group of four who, for me anyway, made it famous, the three musketeers plus D'Artagnan. When they said all for one and one for all, they were talking about solidarity. They were talking about teamwork. They were talking about coming to the aid with a sword of any of the other team members as they fought against their enemies and tried to accomplish their goals. I have a sense that this phrase, all for one and one for all, can be valuable for us, but I'd like to suggest a slightly different interpretation. All, it does not run off the tongue, I have to warn you. All Jesus seekers for one God and then one church for all the world. We'll come back to that. I wanna show you the image first. The image is the image of a loom. As you know, we used to live in Waterloo. And one of the things I loved about Waterloo is that twice a year there would be a pottery sale. And not just a pottery sale, off to one side there was a room that was always filled with weaving. It was the Kitchener Waterloo Weavers and Spinners Guild. They would have their own sale. So these women, mostly women I believe, could be some men, would take different threads, maybe different textures, certainly different colors, and weave them into beautiful weavings. Towels, sweaters, scarves, placemats, even teddy bears that could then be sold, used for a purpose. I think that this loom, together with that phrase, can help us understand what Jesus is praying in these few verses. So Jesus, first of all, prays. You can show that first part of all for one. Jesus, first of all, prays that all may be one. And he means by all, all those who will come to know him, all those who will seek Jesus, all those who hear something of that Jesus who can cleanse sins. Maybe they'll be drawn first by God the Father. They hear something of God's 
huge love for them and want to know more. Or maybe the Holy Spirit mysteriously draws them closer. All Jesus seekers, Jesus says, that those who believe in me will be one. Those who trust that I am from you, God, trust that I am the Son of God sent to save people from their sin, sent to bring a story of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration to the world. So when you think about a loom, looms bring multitudes of colors and threads and textures together. And so when I think of all Jesus thinkers, I, Jesus seekers, I think of that same diversity, all colors of skin, certainly all ages, all genders, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all abilities, all sins, all doctrines, all political persuasions. God, Jesus, desires to unify all who seek Jesus. No boundaries. All those who are willing to bow a knee to one God. All those willing to confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is our teacher, that Jesus is someone I want to follow. All who would willingly, hesitantly, eagerly wear this crown. God the Father loves me. Jesus cleanses me from sin, and the Spirit is working to transform me. That's the all Jesus is praying for here. He prays not just that we would be one, but that we would be one as God and Jesus are one. He doesn't mention the Holy Spirit in these couple of verses, but he's talked about the Holy Spirit for two chapters already just before. So when we think about how we should be one as a church, as all Jesus seekers, Jesus sets a huge high bar. He desires us to be as unified, as woven together as God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. I braided these together to try to give some sense of the unity of the Trinity. It's a mystery we don't understand. And to be truthful, the unity of the church will be a mystery we don't understand either. He prays that God will give us glory, the same glory that he displayed on earth as God's son, the same glory that we offer to God in our praise on Sunday mornings and every day. Jesus envisages this profound spiritual intimacy that changes human life. That's what Jesus is praying for us here. When I think of that sort of church, I think of the most gorgeous weaving I could imagine. Some glitter like this, for sure. Some light that lights up a, a room, a house. 
that draws people's attention when they walk into that Spinner's Guild sale. Everybody heading for that corner because that weaving is something else. But Jesus doesn't stop by saying that all may be one. His prayer goes on. He says in verse 23, then when the Holy Spirit is one, sorry, when the church is one, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So here's the second half of the phrase. Jesus prays that we will be one church so that the whole world will know that Jesus is God's son. One for all. So again, I think of the loom. I think you don't spend hours and hours creating something just so that it can be tossed into a closet. No. You create a gorgeous weaving so that it can offer warmth on a bed or offer warmth around someone's shoulders or on their lap. Or it can offer joy as a teddy bear woven for someone's pleasure. In the same way, Jesus prays that we will be one, not only for nothing, but so that people are drawn to us, so that people wonder, who is this Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is God who made everything and has such a deep love? That is Jesus' prayer for the church. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all, all who believe in Jesus may not perish, but have eternal life. We are called to be one church seeking to spread the news of Jesus to the whole world. So to sum it up, we are all Jesus seekers, diverse in our threads, drawn together into one loom with the glory of very God, so that we may together as one church offer witness to the world, the whole world, all the world for God's glory. This is a glorious prayer, and I hope you hear this prayer as good news. If Jesus is praying that for us 2,000 years ago, he is still praying it in the throne room of God today for us here on Mountainside, for the whole church around the entire world. But it's also a daunting prayer. It's a prayer that fills me with awe and sadness. And so as we continue to think about what all means for Jesus, for the word of God, for us here on Mountainside, I offer three responses to this prayer. I offer for your consideration this week, an opportunity to repent 
of the lack of unity that the universal church has demonstrated, but also even our church has demonstrated. We are not glorious the way Jesus desires us to be glorious. I also offer for your consideration a renewal for a desire for unity best experienced through worship and what a good day to be able to say that from the pulpit on a day where we got to hear and worship live for the first time in such a long time. Francis Chan, who writes the book Until Unity, says, this is what unites us, worship, because we can't stop talking about the treasure that we have in Jesus. It's hard to start an argument with someone who's on her knees shouting praises to Jesus, especially when you're busy shouting praises as well. Many of our problems could be reconciled if we discussed our concerns on our knees before a holy God. We can't allow the enemy or our enemies to interrupt our praises. Worship is our path to unity. And I look forward to continuing to worship together live this fall. The third thing I offer for your consideration this morning is a recommitment to mission. When we are eager and energetically blessing the world, seeking to wear our crowns in such a way that people wonder and ask questions, we don't have as much time to talk about things that we disagree about. We can focus on finding housing for those who need it. We can focus on strengthening our Christian education system. We can focus on offering safety to those who have been abused and hurt. We can offer food to those who need it. So let us pray and think together. Pray with Jesus. Jesus, we are so, so in awe that as you were about to go to the cross, you took time to think through the centuries about all those who would come to believe in you. Thank you for continuing to petition on our behalf for unity. Help us as Faith Church, help us as the body of Christ to grow in unity so that all may know that you were sent by God to redeem the world. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand. We go out with God's blessing. And I will share with you that same message that I gave you at the beginning of the service, the same greeting from our triune God. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.